Okay, kids, if I wanted to say the word love in sign language, how do I do that? Love. If I wanted to say God or Lord, what do I do? I make an L and go from my shoulder down to my hip. So love, Lord God, with all my heart. Remember this finger, heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. With all my strength. Yep, I remember. Okay. Did you guys have a chance to practice a song list last week? Yep, okay. Craig, would you bring that up and let's see if we can do it. I haven't practiced, so we're going to see how this goes. Let's try it. Ready? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I remembered it. Yay. So I'm thankful that you guys were able to remember it. And some of you weren't here last week, so you didn't learn it, but you can learn it. Parents, if you will listen to the vo- to the uh, website, you can go find that song on our church's website. Uh, look under uh, uh, events and this, that, the, that video is there. And then the words are real easy. Love the Lord your God with all your middle finger here on your heart. On your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Okay. Cool. You guys have done a good job. Thank you for remembering that. I want to tell you guys this morning a story about a little boy. His name, he's in the Bible. His name is Samuel. And guess what Samuel is famous for? Samuel, Samuel lived at the church. When he was a little boy, his mom and dad brought him to the church and brought him to the pastor and said, I want him to live here with you because I want him to learn to hear about God and to learn about God. And so he did. And he actually lived in the church. He spent the night sleeping in the church. And you know what's really cool? When he was a little boy, it says in the Bible that God spoke to Samuel in the middle of the night. Samuel was laying in his bed trying to go to sleep, and all of a sudden he heard, Samuel. And Samuel thought it was the pastor who was calling him, so he got up and ran over to where the pastor was sleeping, and he said, I'm here, you called me. And the pastor went, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. And so Samuel walked back to his bed, and he laid down again, and he was trying to go to sleep, and it got quiet, and all of a sudden he heard, Samuel. So he jumped up out of bed and he ran back to the pastor. He said, I'm here. You called me. And the pastor went, I did not call you. Go to sleep. So he goes back to his bed and he's laying there and he's all quiet. And then he hears Samuel, Samuel. And he goes, oh, and he runs back to the pastor. He says, I heard you call me. I'm here. Here I am. And the pastor's going, wait a minute. I'm not calling him. I bet God is trying to talk to Samuel. Okay, Samuel, listen. I want you to do this. I want you to go back to your bed. And I want you to lay down in your bed. And if you hear that voice calling your name again, I want you to say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And so Samuel goes, okay. And he went back to his bed. And he was laying there trying to go back to sleep. And all of a sudden... The Bible says that God came into his bedroom and stood there and said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel laid in his bed and said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God started talking to Samuel and telling him all about the things that he wanted to do. And you know what ended up happening? Samuel grew up. And he became a mighty, powerful man of God who knew how to talk to God and could hear God. And then he could speak the words that God was telling him to say 
to the people of, the, of Israel. And I don't have time this morning to tell you all the different stories about what God did through Samuel. But it all started because Samuel was a little boy and he learned how to hear God's voice. And did you know something? I'll tell you in just a second. Did you know something? God still speaks to children. You may not have ever heard God talk to you, but you know what? If you lay there in your bed sometime, or if you're just quiet and focusing on God and you said, speak to me, Lord, I'm listening. I bet you he will talk to you. That would be so cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. What did you want to say, Adrian? I see him on the TV. Samuel. You see me on the TV? Samuel. Oh, where, where? Oh, a little boy praying. I see. Yeah. That's probably true. That's probably true that Samuel would be just like that, learning to pray and saying, God. Yes, ma'am. Yes, Miss Lee. Um, how would you how, um, Jesus? How would I what? Jesus. How could you hear Jesus? Yeah. It's a hard thing to hear, but sometimes you can hear Jesus talking to you. I, I promise you. I promise you he does. It's a way, but you have to learn how to do it. And you need to talk to your mom and dad about it. And they will help you. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, we know that you hear us. And we want to hear from you. And so we ask God that you would bless these kids. And help them, Lord, to grow to be people who hear you. And to follow your teaching. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back and hang out with your family or with your teacher. And I'm going to come up here. Take a seat. Did you guys know that my wife, Renee, is an excellent cook? How many of you guys have, have had the pleasure of eating food that my wife has prepared? Almost everybody in the sanctuary. Did you know that we've been married 42 years this year? 43 in June. She wasn't always a good cook. When we first got married, she did not know how to cook. When we first got married, we ate hamburger helper or tuna helper. Regularly. We lived in the same town as her mom and dad. She grew up with her mom and dad. And her father used to say, while Renee was a teenager, used to say to Renee's mom, I pity her husband. If you don't teach that girl how to cook, he's going to starve. Now, this is long before they met me. And my mother-in-law said, if she would ever want to come into the kitchen, I would teach her. But I am not going to fight that girl. If she doesn't want to learn, she'll figure it out someday. And so we got married and she did not know how to cook. And it was not a pleasant thing for Bob. Of course, we ate at her mom and dad's house three or four times a week. So it was okay. But a year and a few months after we got married... I was in the Air Force and we got reassigned from Texas to Massachusetts. Our phone bill was ridiculous because every stinking day, mom, how do you, mom, how do you, you couldn't have done that when we lived 20 minutes across town from each other. Instead, you're calling her every single, but what ended up happening is literally my wife through just practice and practice and practice and listening to her mom's instruction became an excellent cook. Now, other people come to my wife and she teaches them. And that's something that she is, she's excellent at and she's a skilled person in that area. But she wasn't always. And she had to, she had to come to terms with the fact that she wasn't skilled and then do something about it and practice. And believe me, there were times practice didn't work all the time. There was one time she had to bake a cake. I don't remember why she was baking the cake. I just know that we were living in our very first apartment in Haystack Apartments and the, the oven Broke halfway through the baking time. And so she called her mom and said, what do I do? And her mom said, uh, I don't really know. Um, 
I'll preheat my oven, bring your thing over here, we'll see what happens. So she drove across town and she then put it into the oven and they baked it for the remaining amount of time. I literally could slam my hand down on top of that cake and nothing happened. It didn't move. It was rock solid. That one had to be thrown out. There was another time my wife was making a cake. I'm not supposed to talk about this one. She was taking it out of the pan and putting it onto the cardboard ring that it goes around before decorating it. And she fumbled it and it fell to the floor and the cake landed face down on the floor. And she was having to take it to a birthday party later on that afternoon. And there was not time to bake another cake. And she looked at me and I said, just put it on the tray and frost it. No one will know. (laughs) Until I told them. But my wife is an excellent cook. But it's a skill that she has honed and learned. I want to talk to you guys about a person who had to learn how to do something and became excellent at it. So, open your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Somebody got it? Okay. Read for us out loud with a strong voice. 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's a lot of verses, but it's important that you read them all from what? Well, no, just, let's just start with, um, 3, 1 through 14, isn't it? No, for, uh, 1 through, yeah, 1 through 14 is good. The very first verse that Mary Mary Lee read for us was chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word boy in English is the Hebrew word na'ar. Na'ar can be anything from infant to adult. It can mean servant. So we have always heard boy. And so the question for me was, how old was Samuel when this was happening? I mean, we know if you go back and look in the in the first chapter of Samuel, verses 21 through 28, you can see the story where Elkanah is getting ready to go to the temple and to, to worship. And he says to Hannah, aren't you coming? And she says, no, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to wean the baby. And then after he's weaned, then I'm going to bring him and he'll be a Nazarite. You remember we looked at that a few weeks back. So she kept him at home until he was weaned. Okay, how old is weaned? 
I've known kids that were still being nursed at age three and a half. So weaned is somewhere past three, probably. Um, we don't have an exact timeline, but somewhere around two and a half to three, maybe four years old. Then it says in chapter two of Samuel, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a Na'ar who was clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make one for him every year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by the woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, we have, that's the only timeline indication that we have about Samuel's age. We know that he was brought to the temple after he was weaned. And we know that he is considered a boy. So in Hebrew or Jewish culture, you enter into the age of majority at the age of 12. So he's probably somewhere between 3 and 12. Now, Josephus, who was a historian in the first century of the Middle East, he has recorded that Samuel was 12 years old at this time. But we have no proof. I mean, there, there were no birth records. There was, so the best guess, somewhere between weaning and adulthood or age of majority. So between three and 12 years old, Josephus says 12. Most scholars accept Josephus's word because he was a lot closer to the event than we are. And who knows what record he was looking at. But basically, let's, let's say 12. Okay. So you got a 12 year old boy who's laying in the temple and doesn't know how to hear God's voice. Now, he ends up one of the premier prophets in all of Israel's history. He actually was the last judge, if you will, before the kings started. So Samuel is a prominent person in the history of the Bible, and he is known as being a prophet. He is known as one who can hear distinctly God's voice. He is, in the same way that Rene is an excellent cook, he was an excellent listener and hearer of the voice of God. And he was able to communicate that to all of Israel. Now, when did Samuel die? How old was he when he died? Well, if you turn to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, the very first seven verses, it says, Samuel became old. And he made his sons the judges over Israel. Testing? Am I off? I'm off. Okay, let me... Am I back? (sighs) Father, help us. Samuel was old. He tried to make his sons the judges over Israel. The judges, his sons didn't walk in his ways, but just like Eli's sons, they were scoundrels. And the end result is the leaders and elders of Israel came to Samuel and said, don't make us live under your son's judgment. Please just appoint a king to us. And at that point, Samuel gets upset because he feels like he's being rejected. And God says to him, don't, don't, don't be upset. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So we know that Samuel lived to be an old man. As he served God as a prophet. Then if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We know that Saul reigned for 40 years. Now if you go to 1 Samuel 13 verse 1. And compared all of your verses. You're going to find all of your translations. You're going to find great diversity in that. And what that is. Is the scribes left out some numbers when they were scribing. And so the scholars have had to look at all the different transcripts and say, oh, so the the answer is 40 to 42 years is this amount of time that Saul was king. When was David anointed? I'm looking at just timelines, spots that we can identify. When was David anointed? 
We don't know when. We know he was the youngest of his family. We know that he was somewhere between the age, well, he was under the age of 20 or under the age of 19 because he was too young to be conscripted into the army when Goliath was challenging the nation of Israel. And his father sent him to go see how his older brothers were doing. So he was not old enough to be in the army. So that means he was less than 19. And likely, scholars believe he was somewhere between the ages of 10 and 15, because that would have been an age where a kid could be alone on his own defending the sheep. So let's say 15. David was on, David, if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4, David was 30 when he began reigning as king. So sometime between 15 years of age and 30 years of age, David becomes king. I mean, sometime between 15 years of age and 30 years of age, Saul, I mean, Samuel anoints David. Okay? Do you understand? You're tracking with me? Now, how long was David on the run from King Saul? Scholars tell us about eight years. So David becomes king at age 30. He was on the run from King Saul for eight years. That means 28, 22 Sometime before 22, but before age 19, he gets anointed. Because remember, he was anointed to be king sometime between 10 um, and 15 years of age. And then he's from 15 to 19 or so. He's still living at home, honing his skill as the as the shepherd. And then finally, he gets raised to prominence. But for eight years, after a couple years, and then after that eight years, he's now on the run. And then by the time he's 30... How do I tell you all of this? Why do I tell you all this? Is because this. Samuel died just before Saul's kingdom ended. Saul's reign ended. So Saul reigned for 40 years. And we can look at the timeline with David and all that stuff to identify that Samuel died just before Saul's reign ended. Because if you look at at, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25 verse 1, that's when Samuel dies. Okay, so that being said, we're told that Samuel was an old man. Then Saul became king and Saul reigned for 40 years. And sometime shortly before Saul died or Saul's kingdom ended or reign ended, Samuel dies. So Samuel being an old man, 50, 60, probably 40 to 50 then lives another 40 years while Saul is reigning. So he's in his 80s or 90s at least when he dies. This man had an incredible ministry from the age of 12 to almost 80 or 90 as the mouthpiece of God to the people of God. He did not start out as an expert. But we do know some things about his role as the prophet. Look again at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the boy Samuel was ministering, and it said, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Then verse 21 of chapter 3. The Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So at the time that Samuel becomes this Nazarite servant, the Na'ar at the temple, God begins to interact with humanity again through Samuel. Samuel chapter three, verses 19 and 20. It says these are the last three verses of of chapter three. And Samuel grew And the Lord was with him. And hear these words. Let none of his words fall to the ground. God was with Samuel. And God did not let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And then it says, and all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Now, that phrase, Daniel to Beersheba, it's been used, it's used like 12 to 20 times in the Bible. And basically it means from the furthest north to the furthest south, the entire country knew that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. Okay, so that was a colloquial expression. In all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, that just means everywhere in the country knew, everyone knew that Samuel 
had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Now, why is it important that they, that they recorded that none of Samuel's words fell to the ground? Turn to Deuteronomy 18. Sorry, I know we're jumping around, but this is important for you to hear this. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22. Moses is saying to the people of Israel, the Lord your God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see great fire anymore, lest we die. And the Lord said to me, you are right in what you have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of them. But the prophet, hear this part, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, well, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or does not come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And that prophet needs to die. See how important it is in the nation of Israel that if somebody is declared a prophet, it's because they know that they hear God's word and they speak it to the people. And it's been attested to by the entire nation of Israel that Samuel was a prophet. None of his words fell to the ground. Now, the last verse of chapter three and the first verse of chapter four says, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. There is a word in there, a Hebrew word called gala, like gala, G-A-L-A, gala. And it has been translated revealed. Okay, so in verse 21, it says the Lord again appeared The Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Remember, it said the the word of God was not common anymore. It was rare. It was very seldom did God ever speak anymore by the time Samuel comes on the scene. But now through Samuel, the Lord has appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord Galad himself revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is what that word Gala means. You come up to someone. Who has long hair. Oh, let me pick on somebody. Look over there. I won't, I won't name anybody, but look over there. You come up to somebody who has long hair and you want to tell him something. So you're in close enough relationship with him that you can literally reach up and push the hair away from his ear and whisper into his ear. That's what Gala means. It means God pushed back Samuel's hair from his ear, got up close and whispered in his ear what he wanted the people of Israel to know. To have that kind of gift. To have that intimacy with God. That you could allow God to push the hair. And get up close and whisper. To be able to feel his breath. On that part of your body. Powerful. Powerful. Now remember. The test of a true prophet. If they say God said something. And it doesn't come to pass. It's not of God. And how you can and, and if they are doing that presumptuously, they need to die. First Samuel, first Samuel chapter nine, verses fifteen through twenty-four. You don't need to turn there if you don't want to. I'm going to read it to you. But this is God revealing, God galaing to Samuel that Saul has been identified as the king. 
Listen to this. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, had Galad to Samuel. Tomorrow about this time, I'm going to send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, okay, now, first of all, God said the day before, about this time tomorrow, you're going to meet somebody. Then... When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord again, Galad, he pulled his hair back and whispered, here he is. This is the one of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel. He doesn't even know this man. Sam, I mean, Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me where is the house of the seer, the prophet? He didn't know who Samuel was. He was looking for the prophet, but he didn't recognize or know Samuel. And Saul comes up to him and says, can you tell me where I can find the seer? And Samuel says, I am the seer. Now come with me up to the high place. This is the place where they worship. For today you shall eat with me in the morning. I will let you go and I will tell you all that is on your mind. As for the donkeys that were lost three days ago, when did Saul ever say anything about donkeys? Because what was Saul doing? Saul had gone out looking for his father's donkeys. And then they were gone so long, they were afraid that the father was going to think that something bad had happened to Saul. So Saul and his servants said, we better get heading back to my dad's place. So all of a sudden, Saul walks up to Samuel and says, can you tell me where I can find the prophet? And he goes, I'm the prophet. Oh, by the way, the donkeys that you've been looking for were found three days ago. For... And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Now imagine you're this 20-year-old kid named Saul. And you're just out looking for your dad's donkeys. And somebody says, well, go talk to the prophet. He probably can tell you where you can find the donkeys. And the guy goes, ah, you're the one God told me about. What? Yeah. Yesterday, God told me that I was going to be meeting you and I to tell you, don't worry about it. The donkeys are okay, but I need you to come up and join me in worship because we're going to be anointing you to be king over the nation of Israel. What? So Samuel takes Saul and his young servant man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited. He was placed in the seat of honor at the table. And he's, there were about 30 people present. And then Samuel says to the cook, bring the portion of meat I gave you, of which I said to you, put this aside. So the cook took up the leg and what has, what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. Eat it because it has been kept for you until the appointed hour that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Hear this, people. This little kid who grew up in the temple, who God's called out at the age of 12, has now become an old man. We don't know how old, 40, 50 years of age. He has decades of knowing how to hear God's voice. Decades of being called the prophet of God. Decades of his words not falling to the ground. And God says, tomorrow at this time, you're going to meet this young man. He's looking for some donkeys. Don't worry, but just tell him the donkeys are fine. Also, you need to bring him up to the feast so that he can be honored at the feast. Because I'm raising him up to become the new king. And oh, you need to tell the cook in the morning to set aside the leg. And he just does it all. Because God told him to do it. Because it was a natural thing. Because God talked to him and he just did what God told him to do. And then... When the time came, the guy walked up and said, hi, I'm looking for a seer. Yeah, that's me. Oh, you're that guy. That guy. Yeah, because God just told me you're that guy. Yeah, yeah, you're coming with me. The donkeys are fine. Let's go eat. Cook, bring the meat. This is the guy I was telling you about this morning. Do you have a relationship with God like that? Whew. Now let's look at Samuel and David and the anointing there. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to grieve over Saul? Oh, <laughs> fast forward a little bit. Saul's a mess. Saul, we'll get more into it as we study it later on in this book, but Saul's a mess. And it comes to a point where God says, enough. Chapter 15 of Samuel, God literally rejects Saul as king. And so then he directs Samuel 
to anoint a new king. And here, here it is. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel says, how can I go, God? If Saul hears of it, he's going to kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do when you get there. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, yes, I come peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now he's just doing this because God told him to do it. When they came, he looked on Eliab and Samuel thought, well, surely this is the Lord's anointed before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And the Lord said, and Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made the seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel turns to Jesse and he says, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Now imagine you're at that point. Wait a minute. God talks to me. God clearly told me to come to Bethlehem. God told me to do it, pretend like I'm doing a sacrifice so that I can get in there safely without Saul learning what I'm doing. And he said, go anoint one of Jesse's sons. And you've just brought all your sons before me. And none of these are, what's God doing? So then he says, are these all your sons? And Jesse, and Jesse says, oh, no, 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 there's still one, the youngest, but he's keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, well, you send and get him because we're not sitting down to eat until he comes. So Jesse sent and brought David in. And when David arrived, he was ruddy. That means he was red faced and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed on David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, which was his hometown. Now, that's an incredible story. This man who was reared to learn how to hear the voice of God. Hones his skill to the point where he literally becomes known throughout the entire nation as that's the guy. If you want to know what God has to say, that's the guy to talk to. If you have a question and you don't know the answer, that's the guy. Because he has the ear of God and God has his ear. We don't understand it. We just know it's true. And for 40 plus years. And then even after Saul was anointed king, probably another 30 plus years. So 70 years this man is the voice of God because he knows how to hear God and he he clearly walks in his gifting and he walks in his skill. Well, that's a nice story, Pastor, but it does not apply to my life at all today. Well, I would ask you the question. What is your theology? Does God reveal today does God intimately talk with God's people I would submit the answer is yes I have some biblical proof if you look in Acts chapter 2 verse 14 through 21 Peter quotes the prophet Joel as he's preaching the very first sermon that Peter preaches and he says the spirit of God has been poured out on all of humanity God foretold it through the prophet Joel, and you are now witnessing it today. God has poured out the Holy Spirit on all of humanity. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, when that spirit comes, that spirit will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears from the father, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So it is Christian theology That the Holy Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh. Every single one of us who name Christ have the Holy Spirit. And that means God being the same yesterday, today and forever speaks to you. The question is, 
do you know how to hear God? It's not a question of if. Because back then it was, it was back in the time, in the time when Saul, Samuel was a little kid, it was seldom that God spoke. But that's not how God works anymore. God changed the way he re- relates to humanity. As of the time of, the, uh, of, of Peter preaching and the, the, the day of Pentecost, God now speaks individually to every single person who names Christ. The question is, are you able to hear? How do you learn to hear? Well, let me share with you some stories of my own journey. And I will tell you, I hear God. Now, Lillian was a little bit confused this morning. You should have seen the wrinkled brow, her trying to process, how can you hear God's voice? And I wasn't going to even go there. That's up to you. Because I can't get a five-year-old or a four-year-old to understand in a five-minute sermon how. But this is a, this is part of discipling on, as you lay down and as you walk and as you are sitting at the table, you talk about God. And one of the things you do is just like Eli did with Samuel, you teach them how. But in my life, I came to personal vital faith at the age of 75. So it was 16. And from 16 to 19, I was learning how to hear God's voice. I bought my very first car. I was living in Monterey, California. I was driving all over the place with my car. It was wonderful. And there would be times that I would see people hitchhiking. And I literally would say, Father, should I pick that person up? And God would say yes, or God would say no. And if God said yes, I pulled over and I picked them up. People thought I was an idiot. You're going to get killed. They're going to steal your car. No, God told me to pick them up. If God didn't want me to pick them up, he told me no. I have stopped doing that. Not because I feel unsafe, but my wife has asked me to stop doing it. So because of that, I very seldom pick anybody up. But now that I live in Two Rivers on Chinot Springs Road, I do it more often because it's culturally okay. That's what we do out here. But for all the years from... You know, 20 until we moved here in 2003. Those years I didn't pick up hitchhikers because my wife didn't feel safe with me doing it. Now, one of the times that I picked up a hitchhiker, I was just talking with this person as I'm driving them where they're going. And God said to me, write this person a check for $50. Now, $50 in 1978 was a huge amount of money for a 20, an 18 year old kid. It was a lot of money. It was one-tenth of my monthly salary. But God told me to do it. So I wrote a check. And as she was getting out of the car, I said, hold on just a second. And I pulled out my checkbook and I wrote it. And I tore one out, handed it to her. And she's like, what? I said, God told me to give this to you. God bless you. Use it for however you want to use it. And she started crying. She said, you don't understand. You don't. I said, I do understand. God told me to do this. Whatever it takes, you just do it. Thank you. Thank you. And again, my friends thought I was an idiot. She'll probably use it for booze and alcohol and drugs. I'm like, it's not my concern. I did what God told me to do. That's all. I don't have to know the end result. I just have to do what God told me to do. Now, one of those times I used to drive down from Monterey, California, where I was stationed, down to Whittier, California, which is about an eight to ten hour drive. And I used to drive down there at least once a month or so to visit my family on the weekends. There were lots of times I literally be driving around Monterey. It's Friday afternoon. And I looked down and I go, I got my checkbook and just head out. That was the way I planned. And I was going to go and just drive down there and spend the weekend with my mom and dad. Well, one time I was going with a couple, three friends. And we had gotten off work and gotten packed up and headed down. And it was getting late. And I said, guys, 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 I'm practicing. I'm practicing how, how to hear God's voice. And they're like, what? I said, I've done this. I've taken this three by five index card and I put it over the gas gauge on my dashboard. And I've asked God, how am I, when am I supposed to get gas? And the Lord told me when I'm supposed to get gas. So we're not going to buy gas until we get there. And they're like, okay. (laughs) Well, God had said to me, when you get to Santa Barbara, buy gas. Okay. So I'm getting tired. It's late. I said to my friend Perry, can you take over driving? I'm exhausted. He said, sure. I said, 
Okay, he said, well, when are we supposed to stop and get gas? I said, I turned to the young lady in the back seat and I said, your mom and dad live in Santa Barbara, right? She said, yes. I said, when we drop her off, then after that we get gas. And he said, okay. So I went to sleep. Have you ever fallen asleep in a car? It's a comfortable, wonderful thing. And you're sleeping. But what happens when the car stops? You wake up instantly. I woke up. We're stopped on the side of the highway. It's midnight or 12.30. I turned to Perry. I said, what's going on? We ran out of gas. <laughs> what? No, no. Where are we? Where are we? We just crossed over into Santa Barbara. And instantly the Holy Spirit said, did I tell you to drop her off and then buy gas? Or did I tell you to get gas when you got to Santa Barbara? <laughs> so I had to get out of the car and walk back a half a mile to the exit and go up the ramp to the all-night gas station that was right there at the top of the ramp at the Santa Barbara line <laughs> to get a can of gas and bring it back to my vehicle and put it in and then turn around and drive all the way back to that place to return their can and fill up. Had I done what God told me to do instead of trying to interpret what God told me to do, we would have been on our way a long time before that and I never would have learned that valuable lesson. God said, when you get to Santa Barbara, get gas. He didn't say, when you get somewhere near Santa Barbara or after you get to Santa Barbara and do a little bit of driving around. He said, when you get to Santa Barbara, get gas. Hmm, interesting. Um, in 1981, God told me to... Uh, get back in the Air Force. I had been out of the Air Force less than a month. I literally separated from the Air Force. I was starting back to college. I was going to become a pastor. This is what God had called me to do. And God literally in my private time said, I want you to go back on active duty in the Air Force. What? I hated the military. I didn't want to be on active duty in the Air Force. This is what I want you to do. So I called the base and I said, I just got out. And this is really weird, but is it possible to come back on active duty? Oh, yes, we have a program going on right now. In the first 90 days, you can no harm, no foul. You can everything back in except for the days that you've been off active duty, but you don't lose any rank and you don't let... I was like, okay, please put me on the list. And it took almost the full 90 days for the Air Force to get us uh, an assignment. And then we finally had to make a decision. Okay, that door is now open. Do we walk through it? Because we thought the door had closed. It was almost 90 days was up. But we felt strongly that God had told us that this was his plan. This is now December of 1981. So we made the decision based on what everything we had. We thought we were hearing clearly from God. So we went ahead and said yes. And that following Monday, I re-enlisted. And then we got an assigned to Massachusetts and we moved to Massachusetts. And a month and a half after we got there, my wife brought my lunch to me one day and she had the car window rolled down and she was just beaming. She said, I'm pregnant with our very first child. And that pregnancy was a troubled pregnancy. My wife had preeclampsia and ended up in a private hospital in a private room for three, almost three weeks total. She says three weeks. I say a week. She, I say three weeks. She says a week and a half. You know who to believe. Um, but anyway, um, it cost the government almost 10 grand. It didn't cost me a penny. Well, I had to pay the daily per diem rate, you know, whatever that was. But that whole thing, had I been a Bible college student or a college student in San Angelo, Texas, we would have been sunk financially to have a $10,000 bill. But God knew what was coming down the pike. So God said, I want you to do this. Even though it didn't make sense to me, even though I didn't understand, I did what I was told to do because God could foresee what was happening in the future. And it was simply a matter of me being obedient. Then I'm almost at the end of my military career. And I have been, again, honing this skill of learning to listen to God's voice. And I was already a licensed minister in the Church of the Nazarene. And I was getting excited about the fact that I'm going to retire and go get a pastorate and become a pastor finally after all of these years. And I'm preparing a Bible study. And the theme of the Bible study was when God reveals his perfect will to you, you enter into a crisis of belief. 
That was the theme of that Bible study that I was leading that next coming Sunday. So I'm at the picnic area on the base, having my lunch, preparing that Bible study. And as I'm preparing it, the Holy Spirit whispers to me in my ear, the little reveal thing, the little gala thing. I want you to go to Bible college. And I said, no. And I kept studying. And he said, no, really, I want you to go to Bible. I said, no. And for an hour, for an hour, I was yelling, no, no, tears streaming, snot. No, you can't do this. I have done everything. You said after I retired, I was going to church. It's now time for you to give me a church. It's not fair, God. No. Bible college. No. Bible college. I'll say yes, but you're going to have to convince Renee. So we got, I got home that evening. My wife in the kitchen with an apron at the counter facing away from me. And I walk in and I say, God dealt with me today during Bible, during my uh, preparation for the Bible study and he wants me to go to Bible college. And I fully expected my godly wife to turn around with tears glistening in her eyes and say, God spoke to me weeks ago about that. I've just been waiting to hear from you to say that this is what God wants. And she turned around and she went, absolutely not. (laughs) And I lost all the props to my faith. I thought I had heard clearly from God. And the foundation fell out from underneath me and I was devastated and mortified for three months or so. I second guessed everything about what I thought I knew about hearing God's voice because we're not on the same page. What in the world are you doing, God? Well, finally, she is able to say yes. So then after the three month delay, we then put in the paperwork for me to retire from the military. And then the following summer. We're moving to Colorado Springs to go to Bible college. And guess what? I'm supposed to go to Bible college in June. And in May, the Bible college announces to the world that they're starting their brand spanking new online program. What? You mean I didn't have to sell my home? I didn't have to give up my job and my security. I could have done this all in the evening online and my kids could have continued to go to the same school and we could have continued with the same church family. God, what are you doing? But we had to go and we followed that path. And then five years later, my best friend from Bible college gets a phone call from a district superintendent in Alaska and he wants him to interview for this podunk little town called Two Rivers. And we're teasing him for weeks. <laughs> You're going to go live where there's polar bears and igloos. <laughs> and his wife's like, no, we're going to North Carolina. That's where we're from. We were going back there. And he's like, fishing, hunting, fishing, hunting, fishing, hunting. And then the day after his phone call interview, I say, I called him up. I said, Chuck, how did it go? How was the interview? And he went, Oh, we got about halfway through it and we realized that it just wasn't a good match for who we are and what our vision is. But we really started to think it might be for you and Renee. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) No, no. See, we have a plan in place already. We, our daughter's getting ready to go into her senior year of high school. We've got a house that we really need to have some work done. And so I was going to go ahead and spend this first year after Bible college to let her finish school. And I was going to get the house ready so that we could sell it. And I've got a great job right now. There's no reason for us to have to move. We'll start marketing ourselves in January. And then we'll get, by the following summer, we'll go ahead and find a church then. And the Lord said, Go to Two Rivers. I don't want to go to Two Rivers. God, I don't want to go to Alaska. Go to Two Rivers. So we agreed to at least do the phone interview. It was going to be on a Wednesday night. I went to work that day. I worked at a Christian ministry. I got into the uh, chapel there on the prayer chapel that they had there on the campus. And I was fasting that day. And I got on my face before God and I said, Lord, I'm going to be bold here. And I'm going to ask you to, without question, give me a definitive yes or no to Two Rivers. I don't want to leave this room without knowing definitively what your perfect will is for me and my wife. Are we supposed to go pastor? And after an hour, the Lord said, most definitely, it is my perfect will for you to be the pastor of the Two Rivers Church of the Nazarene. I said, okay. Got home. We went to church. That no, I don't know if we went to church that evening or not anyway. But anyway, came back and had the interview uh, on the phone, and at the end of the interview, we hung up, 
And I turned to Renee and said, how are you feeling? And she said, I, I, I can't say yes to this. I just can't say yes to this. And I was like, well, then we'll wait until you can. And she said, you're not upset? No. We're a team. We're a partnership. If you're not ready, then we're not going. God will reveal his perfect will to both of us or, or we're not going. Now, I was already fully convinced. I had already settled the matter between me and God. I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that this was God's perfect will. And I had every right as the spiritual head of our household to simply say, we're going. And she could just come kicking and screaming. But God had already prepared me five years earlier when I came home from work one day and said, we're going to the Bible college. And she turned around and said, absolutely not. And it destroyed everything in my faith because we weren't on the same page and God healed that brokenness in my life knowing that five years later I was going to need the strength of being able to determine that I knew God's voice whether my wife was on the same page with me or not and so I was able to go that three months or so with my wife not knowing and then finally she knew and we knew And we moved here. And we've now been here 20 years. And it's because I learned how to hear the voice of God. See, our theology, as I said, is that God has poured out his spirit on all Christians. So if you're a Christian, that means you have the Holy Spirit with you right this minute. And if indeed God is the same yesterday and today and forever, that means that God, Galaz, pulls your hair back and whispers in your ear every single day. The question is, if you can't hear that, it's not because he's not talking. It's because you have yet to learn the skill. It doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. It doesn't mean that you're less than. It means no one has come alongside you and said, when you hear that leading, lay in your bed and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so I say to you folks, lay in your bed. Don't try and second guess what's going on. Just trust that the Holy Spirit would never try to trick you. The Holy Spirit would never, ever lead you down a path that is not the perfect will of the Father. The Holy Spirit would call, will only call you to things that God wants you to be part of. And whether anybody else in your life knows, understands, and, and or agrees with you, you have to do what you know God has called you to do. End of discussion. But if you will continue to walk that path of learning how to hear the voice, And responding to it. And yeah, there may be a few times where you run out of gas and you're sitting alongside the road because you you didn't correctly interpret. There may be some times when you are fully dependent on the fact that I've always come to my spouse and my spouse has always been in agreement with me. And for some reason, we're not on the same page. And now, oh, I'm scared because maybe I'm not hearing correctly. Learn to listen. God is never going to talk to you in a voice you can't understand. God is never going to try and trick you. God is never going to come in a way. Now, how does he speak to you? I don't know. Sometimes through his word. Sometimes through a sermon. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Um, Sometimes through a song. Sometimes through a smell. You... Are an individual. You are a unique human being. God has created you with specific talents, gifts, skills. And he knows how to get your attention. The question is, are you listening? That's the question. And so I challenge you this week. Listen. Just listen.
and see where he takes you. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father God, I pray that you will help each one of us to learn to hear that still small voice and to recognize it and to respond. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.